Hello and welcome to the RevOps Show. I have to be honest with you guys. Anytime I've gone to LinkedIn the past few weeks and have looked up RevOps or revenue operations to see what's been going on in that area, my feed has been flooded with articles and posts talking about revenue intelligence. Had no idea what it was, so I had to know how does it relate to revenue operations. So after doing some research and some searching around, Jess and Doug brought the topic to the table. Today's the day. We're talking about the highly popular revenue intelligence. I was surprised by a few things in this episode, so let's jump into it. Jess. Doug. I couldn't believe this. I was talking to a couple of our of our team members earlier today. Mm-hmm. They saw the hat that I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, is that bright yellow hat? Is that does that mean you're in a good mood? Or and I'm like, well, first off, it's mustard. <laughs> it it does read bright yellow on on I understand. I understand. On- I said first, but secondly, it's the greatest logo in the history of the world probably but definitely sports in the history of the world oh yes we're i mean i don't even know that i would go all of sports i know we've had this conversation before but history of the world <laughs> do you not do you not understand what this logo is do you know who it what? is um no <laughs> i don't remember it, it's the milwaukee brewers okay that's right okay do you do you not pick up it's a it's a glove with a with a baseball in it <laughs> Do you not see the M and the B? Oh, I do now. Yeah. Now I'm not going to be able to unsee it. You're not supposed to unsee it. it. I hadn't seen it before. Now I see it. Milwaukee Brewers, they bring the M and the B in a baseball glove with a baseball in it. What logo is better than that? Apple. (laughs) No, no. Apple, it's an apple. I just, I just, I just did that because it was what came to my head. Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm telling you, Jess, we need to get baseball for dummies as part of the onboarding. I don't process. think that would be that. That seems so. I know quite a bit about baseball. I'm not saying I'm a baseball. You expert, don't know who the know... starting lineup for the 1975 oh, Cincinnati Reds is. <laughs> Never going to live it down. I, I hear about it every time I go home. I hear about it every time on the Rev Up show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and you hear about a few times in between too. I do. I do. It's true. Um, I know quite a bit about baseball. I don't think that that would be covered in baseball for dummies just because that's an opinion. <laughs> that's the best logo in the history of ever. Well, you know, are you familiar? Let's talk about data then, Jess. Let's talk about math. Okay. Are you familiar with the P- Pythagorean theorem? No. Well, the Pythagorean theorem is a squared plus please a squared plus b squared equals c squared. Okay. So one of the great, you know, what would you like to know? One of the great historic questions there is, when in your real life would you ever use the Pythagorean theorem? Mm-hmm. And there's actually a really easy answer. The answer is baseball. Oh, okay. You know, you know how you use the Pythagorean theorem in baseball? No. <laughs> So do you know the distance between bases in baseball? We'll see how much you know about baseball. Oh, Lord, I'm going to regret having said, said that I that I know a decent amount of a baseball. I don't remember how much space is between. Okay. 90 feet. Okay. Now, now the person that I was talking to earlier asked. I didn't, I didn't confuse. Is that between each of the bases? I didn't, I didn't confuse tennis with, with baseball. I just want you to know. I understand. I understand. <laughs> but by the way, 90 feet between bases, that would be covered in baseball for dummies. Yes, that would. I, I agree with you. So so the distance between each base is 90 feet. Uh-huh. Right? So if you have to set up a baseball field, uh-huh. it's got to be 90 feet. Right? Uh-huh. But if it's just 90 feet, uh-huh. it's actually not going to be set up. It, it's not necessarily going to be set up correctly. So do you know what the distance between home plate and second base is? I knew you were going to ask me that next. Do you know how to figure it out? Is it A squared plus B squared equals C squared? <laughs> right. So, so um, it, the Pythagorean theorem is that the, you know, if you look at a standard triangle, mm-hmm. the long line yeah. is equal to the, right, that, that's what the Pythagorean theorem is. So yeah. the distance from, so A squared from home plate, home plate, home plate to first base. Mm-hmm. So 90 feet squared. 
mm-hmm. plus first base to second base, 90 feet squared, mm-hmm. which is 8,100 feet. Mm-hmm. So the square root of 16,200, which is just under 128, mm-hmm. is the distance between home plate and second base. Second. Okay. So that's how you set it up correctly. Otherwise, you could have, you know, you could be 90 feet. Right. And you could have, right. Yep. Right. You see what I'm saying? So I do. You've got, right. And and so when we were setting it up, when we would have to, you know, rain would come in, you'd pick up the bases, also you'd have, you'd have to get something set up or. I remember. Right? <laughs> I remember that when I played. <laughs> so we, so there was a time like, and there were no posts to put the bases in and we had to build it from scratch. I'm like, wait, how do we do this? I actually took out my phone, did yep. someone had the super long tape measure and we were able to get the baseball field set up by using the Pythagorean theorem. Wow. Great. <laughs> I learned something new today. <laughs> 90 feet. It's like 127.69. I think it is. Let's see. Let's take out the handy dandy calculator. There we go. 200 square root is 127.27922. There you go. There you go. So if you're setting up a baseball field, everybody, all the, all the youth coaches out there, 127.27 feet, 28 feet between home plate and second base. The funnest thing is when the kids move up. Um, so in, in our youth leagues, they, they played 60 feet bases. Mm-hmm. Then they played 70 feet bases. Then they went to 90 feet. Yep. And you had these kids who were, you know, on 70 feet, they were studs. They would go to, you know, the first time we took them out onto the full 90 feet field, they start playing catch from, you know, someone goes to the third base spot and someone's at first. He throws it. It like goes just over halfway. Yeah. Wait a second. This is hard. (laughs) <laughs> you know there's there's something magical about 90 feet chess because like the difference in players uh-huh. and i think it's a combination of 90 feet and pubic <laughs> you're right at that point when you go to a full-size baseball field but right you right know, you've got that kid who's super super fast and you know so he just beats out ground balls when it's 60 right feet. 90 feet all of a sudden uh, by the way when you go to 90 feet you know the ball that you hit into the outfield, the shortstop has to move in to catch. Yeah. Right. That's the stuff that happens. And so there's just something magical about that. That just, it's amazing how it equalizes it. And it lets the (laughs) separates the wheat from the chaff. So again, I got, it was, I think it was about when we went to 90 feet that I realized if I was going to continue my life in baseball, it was definitely going to be down the path of coaching. (laughs) It's a great equalizer. (sighs) All right. Um, so the topic today, talking about the Pythagorean theorem? I am, I am done talking about baseball. If I let you talk about baseball, you'll, you'll use the entire podcast. We were talking about the that. Pythagorean theorem. Jess. We were, we were talking about the Pythagorean theorem. Very important mathematical theorem. principle. Okay. Noted. Um, so today's topic, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit nervous to talk to you about just cause I think we're going to, I think it's going to open some cans of worms. <laughs> I think it's I'm a little bit Pandora's box. There we go. I'm a little bit worried about keeping up. I'm not going to lie, but we'll see how I do. Um, so I want to talk about revenue intelligence and how it impacts RevOps. AI is the hot topic. This is part of that. So I thought it would be timely. Where I want to start is with the definition. So Forrester just... start October 19th. No. Dark rainy no. night. No. Okay. I know that's I know that's where we normally start, but that's not where we're starting today. <laughs> so Forrester Forrester describes revenue intelligence solutions as those that capture human engagement activity between buyers and sellers and automatically update that data to CRM platforms. It analyzes the information to uncover actionable insights, provide dynamic guidance, and supply inputs on deal management, forecasting and other revenue generating activities. So that's that's what we're talking about. I so my first question for you is I see a lot of places Wait, saying hold on, hold on, oh, hold on. So sorry. R- repeat Forrester describes what as revenue that? intelligence solutions. Right. Okay. 
we'll yeah. come. I just want to make sure because we're going to come back to something. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I'm seeing a lot of places they're talking about the fact that having a revenue intelligence solution or, or implementing revenue intelligence into your RevOps strategy is critical. Do you do you think that that's do you agree with that? Do you agree that it's critical? Do I think revenue intelligence and revenue intelligence solutions are critical? Yeah. So as a part of your, you do. Tell me more. What would you like me to tell you? <laughs> why, why, are, why is it, why are they critical? Well, if you have no insight or intelligence for how you generate revenue and no insight or intelligence for how to improve the generation of revenue, then you're a, a sailboat without a sail. <laughs> okay. Or, or at least without any steering. Okay. I mean, I guess the, I mean, what's the opposite of revenue intelligence, revenue stupidity. <laughs> I guess so. I would say, I would yeah. say that as a general rule, you should not strive to be stupid about your revenue in your mm -hmm. revenue operation strategy or, or in your growth strategy. Okay. So what are some of the common tools that we see where like, like most companies are probably using some form of revenue intelligence and, and actually the, I think this got brought up when you were talking to Paul about AI. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of AI that I didn't even realize I was, I was using cause I didn't, I didn't know that it was AI. I didn't think about, you know, Grammarly being AI, for example, mm -hmm. are, what are some common usage of usage of revenue intelligence that people might be, businesses might be commonly using that they're not thinking about? Like what, when we talk about revenue intelligence, what does that look like in the sales process in a CRM? We don't talk a lot about revenue intelligence. Well, I understand. Okay. <laughs> so, so you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, aren't you, Jack? I am. I'm. I'm. I. I. I said I was nervous. <laughs> so, so I have a fundamental problem with with the statement, and and in fairness, I believe this is correct. But in fairness, mm -hmm. we are looking at a third party article. The article is. We are from White Cup, which is a distribution industry revenue intelligence platform, just so everybody knows. By the way, I do think that this article is a great example. And I'm not being mm -hmm. sarcastic. I think it's an excellent example for um, the creation of an article for SEO purposes. Okay. I, um, do, I do think that it's accurate, though, because I, I found it in other places. So I disagree with Forrester's defining revenue intelligence solutions as whatever you read. Yeah. Okay. I think I would agree that I would be okay with the definition of that as revenue intelligence technology. What's the difference or between a revenue intelligence application? What's, what's the, difference the difference between revenue intelligence solutions and a revenue intelligence application? An application or technology is a, a means it, it enables solutions. It can even accelerate solutions, mm -hmm. but it is not a solution. Okay. Right. We talked about that in some of our earlier episodes. Yeah. I and mean, every time okay. because I work, you know, you're, with your CRM solution, no CRM's not a solution, but by the, you know, so, I mean, what, what's the problem? Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I still remember really early in my sales career, um, Actually, no, it was really early in, in, in when we were Imagine, back when we were Imagine Sales Advisor. I was at some networking event, and this guy, his name was Chris. I forget his last name. I used to remember it. Mm -hmm. But he was the president of Solution Developers Corporation. And I was in a punchy mood. I think I just didn't want to be there. I've never so seen you up, in a punchy I, mood. So I walked up to him, and I said, hey, Chris, it's nice to meet you. My name's Doug. You and I should hang out together. And he looked at me kind of like you're looking at me right now. And he said, okay, uh, well, why do you say that? I said, well, I see you run solution developers corporation i'm really good at creating problems i figured i could go create problems and you could come behind me and develop solutions oh my gosh um so i mean your 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 crm is a revenue intelligence solution uh, you know okay. the, so so the other like the problem so do you want to know why forrester created that definition why because they got paid to do a research or content project by a revenue intelligence application. Okay. So they did it. They did a document. They had one of their research people do that. So they had to define. So they're trying to define a category. Right. Not a bad idea. Right. So, um, you know, when, when I was younger, I used to listen to a lot of 
motivational tapes, things like that. And one of my favorite people to listen to was Jim Rohn. Uh-huh. And and my favorite thing that Jim Rohn ever said was, beware of people who claim to manufacture antiques. Yeah. And there are yeah. a lot of people who manufacture antiques. There's a lot of money in manufacturing. Antiques. Yeah. By, by the way, the, the idea that revenue operations is new, that it's not. Right. Um, by the way, even if the name is new. The concept is not. It, it's still like, you know. Right. Arose by any other name. So, so there's this whole idea, like, like the, the, the problem with the base of this and, and, and a problem mm-hmm. that I have with a lot of AI right now. Yeah. Is it, it is very heavily solutions trying to create problems. Okay. And, 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 and there's some, there's some important things when you begin to use technology and when you talk about being data driven, I actually, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've noticed this. I don't use the term data driven um, frequently anymore. I use the term data informed. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing to understand about data. Anytime you use data, and, and, and when we're talking about data-driven, we are almost always talking about quantitative data. Right. And, and, and by the way, what, what some AI does is it will take qualitative data and basically translate it into quantitative data. I can't remember if we talked about this in the last episode, um, an earlier one, or if I had the conversation with somebody else. But but one of the things, you know, the, the, all the news came out about, um, you know, the, the, the Bing AI engine that, 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 you know, that uses chat GPT and, yeah. um, you know, it talked about, you know, I, I want to be human or I want to be alive or something. And it, like it freaked a whole lot of people out, right? Yeah. Because it, it's like, it's saying that it wants to feel. It, it, right. It's, it's trying to think, but, but it's not trying to think, <laughs> right? What, what, right. What the generative AI in that is, it, it is literally word guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It, it's, I don't want to pick on the companies, but there are, there are a couple companies that I know of that's, that, that as applications, they become larger sales applications today, but mm-hmm. they started off basically as email guessers. The whole idea was we're going to, you know, you're going to be able to get emails from. Right. And, and what it did was it scraped data and then, you know, looked at, you know, you're at ABC company. It found 15 people from ABC company and saw that these 15 people were first initial last name. So it, it just told you that, oh, it's first initial, right? It would give you the email address. Right. And it was just yeah. email guessing. Yeah. Right. It just automated what, you know, I would do manually sometimes. Right. Back in the day. So, you know, with, with the, a, you know, with an AI algorithm, with an evolutionary algorithm, and that, you know, by the way, that's what it really is. It is a form of an evolutionary algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um. Because what you're doing is you're training it and you're training it and you're training it, right? You'll see in all of those generative things, you see thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. That's the reason that's there is, is you're, you're training it. Um, in Grammarly, the, you see the underlying dots. Yeah. Right. You think you're fixing it mm-hmm. or you're dismissing it. You're not, right. you're actually training it. Yeah. No, it's. It's interesting. So the per, like perfect example for me on this, I have a, I have a six-year-old. She talks with a little bit of a lisp. She's got a slight speech impediment. Her Alexa was having a very hard time understanding her when she first got it. And now sometimes we tell her Alexa to do something and it doesn't understand us. But when she tells it to do something, it under, it's learned her, um, her, her vocal there her, was- her voice. <laughs> there was a segment on CNN that I saw last night, Donnie, uh, Donnie O'Sullivan. And he was talking about these, these deep fake audios and how now with like a minute or two of audio from just about anybody, you can replicate their voice. Like, you know, what if it was done in Ireland? This is one of my favorite stories that uh, Darmesh Shaw shared at, um, at an inbound in the early, early days of um, YouTube, this problem started to emerge where, you know, a percentage of videos was showing up, was showing up upside down, right? It was right about like 10% of videos mm-hmm. were showing upside down. Yeah. And they couldn't figure out why that was. They finally figured it out. Do you know what the cause of the problem was? No. Left-handed people. By the way, left-handed people account for about 10% of the people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, if I'm holding a, a right-handed person hold holds their phone one way, a left-handed person holds their phone right. another way. Yeah. And so in all the design and testing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it was all 
It was all done by right-handed people. So so I bet you if all these deep fake generative items, if they'd been done in Ireland, I bet you they would struggle to replicate. So, so again, for all this intelligence, what you have to realize is the reason that those things are so quote-unquote smart is because they're so stupid. Right. They bring no thinking to the table. So all the all the behavioral issues, substitution, framing, anchoring, those things don't. So so the difficulty is anytime you're driving data, you may not know this, Jess, but did you know there is no data that I can use from the future today? I did know that. <laughs> all data, all data that I can use is from the past. Yep. Yeah. And so and so what you're gonna do is you're gonna optimize for the past. Okay. Now, there are times where that's fine. Yep. You're not going to predict a shift. Mm-hmm. And by the way, all anyone needs to do is look up, go to Google and look up long-term capital management. This was a, this was a hedge fund run by literally some of the smartest people in the history of economics who built out a model mm-hmm. that was amazing and basically they had figured out a way through through leverage and hedging to generate large returns with very little risk mm-hmm. and 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 they talked about the edge modeling of what they did that you basically couldn't hurt yourself mm-hmm. and it almost destroyed the entire financial system and when you get into it, what you realize is they weren't lying. They right. had actually stress tested the thing to a six standard deviation, to six standard deviations. So it was right 99.9999999997% of the time. Right. But then you had a situation happen that was a six, seven, eight standard deviation event. Mm-hmm. And when and that then happens, it broke, broke. and you're leveraged, it yeah. blows up. It doesn't break. It blows right. up. Okay. So, so. Like the the problem is, you know, there there the 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 difficulty that I'm seeing with all of this mm-hmm. is we talked last time about automation. We talked in a previous episode about automation. Yep. When it's if if quote unquote revenue calculation that's bringing this and now it's gonna tell me that. So like I I there was a company that um we were looking at. Um they were in the metrics and analytics space. Um, I think they qualified as a revenue intelligence application and, and one, and like their favorite example to talk about was it would break down your data and automatically show you based on the type of sale, how many meetings does it take? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a sales rep and you're on your third meeting and it takes seven meetings, then, then I know from a oh. coaching or everything, you know, we, you know, we've got to get four more meetings and I'm like, okay, where does it show me? how to maybe get from seven meetings to five meetings or. Right. And, it, well, and like, they didn't even understand the question, Jess. Yeah. Well, and, it, and this gets to a little bit of, I mean, we've talked about this several times about how much you love averages, which is what that, that number is based on, right. Is, is averages. And, and so you're, you're going off of that. You're also influencing the salesperson because they're seeing that and they're like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I can, I can get seven. And they're not thinking about how do I optimize. They've now become just checking the boxes and, and interestingly more robotic <laughs> because of the, because of the intelligence that's been provided to them. You know, the you, you, and, you and I were talking about, you and I were talking about a sales rep yesterday that I'm working with. And I said, you know, basically what he knows how to do is he knows how to set a meeting. Mm-hmm. He's like, when do you think we should send the next minute? I'm like, I don't know. I think, I think we got to call him a couple of times. Like, like, like until this happens, there's no, and, and, and what I realized is the whole idea of working a deal of working an opportunity, it, it's, it's gone. And, and so like, I, I love trends. I love data. Data should start making you think. And, and the danger and, and my problem with this, and it's funny because I have been hearing and seeing different things about this revenue intelligence, this, there's the revenue intelligence, mm-hmm. that. And, and it just it just reeks of manufactured antiques, which is not to say I don't see any value in what they're doing. But again, by calling mm-hmm. itself a solution, it, it disconnects us from our data. It disconnects us from what's, from what's really happening. Um, I'm going to get to elements about it um, as well in a minute. 
what what we're doing is we're always optimizing to yesterday. You know, intent data, which which on its surface, that's a great thing to have. Mm-hmm. But but A, you can't really influence intent, not in the short term, certainly. And B, you start optimizing for intent. Okay. Yep. But then the whole idea of demand generation now, you know, really disappears. Mm-hmm. And and now you become you 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 become really efficient. So like one of the problems with with automated revenue intelligence is we become really efficient. But what I see happening with with great frequency is we lose resiliency. Okay, I gotcha. So we so we're more efficient, but the resiliency goes away. That's the downside to that. Yeah, you know, look what did the, what you know Elon Musk came in and everyone in 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 Silicon Valley is talking about. He's laid off eighty percent of people and and it's still running. We, well, yeah, yeah no shit. And look 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 at the <laughs> look at the cost that he's reduced. Yeah. Well, let's see if it's still working two years from now. Right, right. Because if right, I come right. in and I just beat the shit out of my production capacity, it's going to look good. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I. Oh, go ahead. No, go on. No, I have one thought on um, data before before you expand on on the points you were going to expand on. We we had a couple of years ago where we had our data analyst who was really struggling with like setting up dashboards and reports and. I remember the aha moment that you pointed out, which was a really good dashboard should actually prompt more questions than give you answers. And I think the problem with the revenue intelligence and the AI is is we're is always going to want to give you an answer. It's never like that's the human component. I think that that you miss on some of this stuff is you should be asking those questions. You should be putting those hypotheses together, and that should be driving these things. Should be driving I, that, not looking to give you the answer. I disagree with a small thing that you said. Okay. You said it is always trying to give you an answer. You don't agree with you that? Said, you said, I do. I disagree with that. Right? Okay. I think it has no intention whatsoever. It does not care how okay. you use it. I think the natural tendency is that we that we seek the answer. Okay. That's fair. Right? Yeah. So, we, you know, we talked about this um, a while back in the episode um, on where we talked about Moneyball, mm-hmm. um, and and you know, Michael Lewis uh, interviewed Bill James, and and you know, this is um, what came up the 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 very process that was designed to give you a new model to think about replaced the thinking. The data is supposed to be the starting, like the power of data is it can bring you so much information, so rapidly yep. and so easily that we can think about things that we could never have thought about before because it would have taken us so much time to try to get it together. Mm-hmm. But what's happened is we've taken that and instead, because this sells better, turn it into doing the thinking for you. So, so we say, here's our predictive lead scoring and we give you a number. This is 12.5. This is 1.2. This is 36.4. Well, which one should I go for? Right? So it's telling me, well, so so like so when you talk about what what is revenue intelligence? What what is revenue intelligence that people are using? Whatever mm-hmm. they are using as their CRM. That's pe- that's a piece of revenue intelligence. Mm-hmm. Are 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 you using it well? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> okay. There, yep. there, there, there's another thing. Um, what is I, I, I want to call. It, I think it's the Heisenberg principle, but I might be confusing that with um, Heisenberg from Breaking Uncertainty Bad. principle. No, Heisenberg, which is um, the act of observation changes the behavior of what is being observed. So, so it's why real anthropomorphic studies require like you embed people because if I. You know, the, the problem with surveys is you don't tell me the answer. You tell me the answer that you either want me to think or more so you tell me the answer that you want to think. It's like, you know, yeah. um, Nielsen ratings used to, you know, they send you a book and you would write what you watched. And NPR always had a higher share on Nielsen, <laughs> right? Because, no, I watch NPR. Ain't, you know, ain't that many people I'm watching NPR. NPR. Sorry, They're all um, trying PBS, to. PBS. P- I'm sorry, PBS. 
Oh, okay. Radio. NPR's radio. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm highbrow. I don't. I'm. I'm not watching. Right. This, you know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look smart if I put PBS on that. I'm not. I'm not watching Milf Manor. <laughs> There's actually a, a show. That's actually a real show. Yes. That like that's a real show on the Learning Channel. <laughs> I'm. I expect no less <laughs> from TLC. Um. Do you know what? Do you know what Milf Manor is? I can assume by the title. So it's, it's, so it's a group of like 40 or 50 something women with, with 20 some, you know, 20 something men, the men are all kids of the women. Oh my God. This is ridiculous. That's on TLC. Just so you know, I'm not making it up. Oh, Um, okay. (laughs) So, so, so like the, the, you know, the concern that I have with a lot of these things is it, it replaces the thinking. I actually saw something really fascinating the other day and it, and it made sense initially. And I thought about it and I'm like, Oh wait, that's part of the problem. And it, and it, it talked about, you know, some of the automation that, that, that eliminates busy work. Mm-hmm. And so like all of these conversational AIs are now promising. We record the call. Mm-hmm. We notate the call. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, what I, I forget, I forget what is, what enables me to do this. I forget what app, whether it's actually Gmail or it's one of the third party apps that I have plugged into it, but I can hit this on button and it will highlight the key points of the, Oh, apps. interesting. Okay. Yeah. Th- I don't think that's out of the box. I think it's, it, it, it's really interesting, except I, I have to admit, I found myself, mm-hmm. I don't read the whole, e- I mean, I, a, I never read the whole email. But I've, I don't read the whole email. I read what it highlighted. Well, mm-hmm. it's not always right. Yeah. And 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 by the way, I will now say to you, well, the email said this, and you go, no, that's not what I wrote. Well, well so, that- yeah, I, I ran into this the other day with somebody who they responded to an email, and I was like, why did you respond like that? And I, it was because I skimmed it, thought I caught, and they're like, well, did you see... And I went back and looked. So I can imagine if it, the highlighter probably would have done just as good of a job as I did skimming it. So now imagine that the tool goes into your email, looks at the key points, identifies the properties in your CRM that that information belongs, and automatically populates those properties with that information. How exciting does that sound? It sounds exciting, <laughs> but... <laughs> What? what if it's wrong? What if it's wrong? Well, okay. Let, let, let me tell you, let, let me change the scenario so we don't go into the wrong thing. Okay. I have created right, the fair. algorithm that is always right. It always gets the right information. Okay. Then, then it always gets then, the right information. Then yeah, that's exciting. So will your performance improve or decrease? Decrease. We talked about this on Why the automation. Your performance. Mm-hmm. So what, how do you define, how do you define performance? I'm a salesperson. And now mm-hmm. instead of spending all my time on this busy work of, you know, looking at the email and then filling in the stuff that I need to fill in based on the email. So I now don't have all that busy work. Uh-huh. I'm going to say decrease. Why is it going to be? Because of what, because of what we talked about on the automation episode, it's now so you, invisible. You have so to I'm actually not... get right. Go on. Because it, if it's invisible, I don't pay attention to it. I don't see it anymore. I will. I'll, I won't. I won't have that context. I'll lose that thread because it's now become invisible. It's getting done for me. I'm not having to do the thinking to. Okay. That's a good part. That's those good dots. use of it. I agree with that. So we set up and configure your CRM so that information is right there, staring you in the face when you're having the conversation. Does that change it? No, because I still think that makes it invisible. I won't. I, I eventually won't see it. I won't pay attention to it. <laughs> no, it's there. You can't miss it. I feel like this is a trick. I just <laughs> so here, here's my take. Mm-hmm. It still won't have the same impact mm-hmm. because I never processed it. Yep. On one hand, that administrative function of transferring stuff is is busy work. On the other hand, the process of deciding what are you going to transfer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is valuable. Did you know that if I write something by hand, my understanding of it and my memory of it 
is like 20 times better than if I type it into a computer. I did know. And that's why I like writing out notes. And do you know why? <laughs> well, doesn't it have something to do with when you write it down, it like connects directly to your brain? Isn't that- The parts of the brain that are utilized and the communication that has to happen. Yeah. It is a much more active process. So it, it's like what Dwight Eisenhower said about plans. At least that's who I quote. You know, plans are useless. Mm -hmm. but planning is invaluable. That, and yeah. so, yeah, there's a busy work element, but what we're doing is that we are turning more and more and more of the thinking to the machine. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm not processing it. I'm not understanding it. I'm not. And so outside of the fact that these AI emails suck, you know, that auto populate, Hey, I've noticed that um, Cafe so Mezzanote looks like a popular restaurant. You know, Kathy Mizunoti looks like a popular Italian restaurant in Savona Park. Would you recommend it? By the way, would you be open to talking about, right? So, like, so, so the idea of revenue intelligence and the idea of the automation of some of these things that it, that it, that it does, I, I think that's great. But are we using revenue intelligence to, to be the intelligence for us? Now, in a larger organization from an executive level, if you're thinking about how am I allocating resources... Mm -hmm. I think it can be really valuable. Can you tell me more about that? Like, what do you, what do you mean by? So if I'm running HubSpot, mm -hmm. if I'm running GE, if I'm running a, you know, a $5 billion division and I've got, you know, 2000 salespeople and, you know, so, so by the way, do you know what averages rely on to be valuable? To be useful? Averages rely on the law of large numbers. Mm -hmm. So averages work really well if you're an insurance company. And you have right. hundreds of thousands of people, mm -hmm. right? They don't work so well if you're an insurance company and you insure 100 people. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, because you know what? If I flip a coin a trillion times, mm -hmm. I will bet you anything that I'll find a segment of a thousand flips that every one of them comes up heads or tails. Like heads. Right. All 1,000 come up heads. All right. And so, I mean, that is a outlier of outlier events. You know, in a world of a trillion people, a one in a trillion event happens every day. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. So in, in a large where, where, where I'm, I'm going, okay, well, where, where do I need to allocate resources? What do I need to put for? Hey, we're seeing, you know, this sign here. Because I'm really managing it to a short term. You know, one of the things that, that happens in, in financial services, you have all these analysts and they're recommending their asset allocation. And is this a buy or a hold? And, and it gets so much news. And one of the things that, we, that I would have to explain to clients, you know, Bank of America comes out and with this, uh, Goldman Sachs says that, yep. is, is at its longest, when you look at those recommendations, their time frame is a one-year time frame. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. Which, which means you, there, there's a very high degree of variance. It's, it's a very different mm -hmm. thing. I'm like, so, so are you going to follow the recommendation for one year when we need a plan for your next 50 years? Like what makes sense for one year doesn't make sense for 50. Years. Right. Right. Um, so, so when you look at a resource allocation, that's a 90 to 180 day. But, and by the way, you know, who had some really great, Revenue intelligence systems. Salesforce has some really great revenue intelligence systems. HubSpot has some really great intel revenue mm -hmm. intelligence systems. Google has some really great revenue intelligence systems. Amazon has some really great revenue intelligence systems. Why am I bringing these up? Do you know why I'm bringing these up? Because they're huge organizations. <laughs> and what have they all done in the last six months? Laid off at least 5% of their oh, organization. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? Because what was their revenue intelligence telling them? You need to hire, 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 hire. Right. Yep. Now, you know, some of that's the game. Like that's what you have to do yeah. because, because by the way, the cost of missing it. So, so the cost of Salesforce not hiring to meet something and missing it is far, far greater than the cost. Yeah. Not, not, not sure. to the person who loses their job necessarily, but right. Right. But again, that's the different game that you're playing. So, so from that standpoint, what we're talking about, makes a lot of sense. But what we're doing increasingly is we're taking these macro big data elements and we're saying, let's apply it to your micro to, let's say big data and apply it to small data. 
let's take mm-hmm. this in and apply it to um, the interaction. That's where it gets in trouble. So, so, and again, I am not anti-revenue intelligence. I'm not anti-revenue intelligence applications. What I know is that the value of revenue intelligence, I'm actually meeting with a company that, that wants to talk to us. Um, they apparently have a really nice integration with HubSpot. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm intrigued that they, they have a really interesting report that came out. There's some interesting data in there, which is going to lead me to establish some hypotheses. We'll probably talk about some of them on a, on a future episode. But I'm seeing people saying the such and such report shows that you need to do 12 meetings for, and it's like, okay, hold on a second. Right. Right. <laughs> another, see, another element that happens is if I look at data to see what happened after the fact, and I now mm-hmm. apply that proactively, I'm not going to get the same result. And that's beyond just a correlation. Right. Right. So, so again, it, what it does, like where revenue intelligence is valuable what makes revenue intelligence valuable is not what makes it saleable. What makes it saleable is we make this easy for you. Right. Right. And so revenue intelligence that drives a disciplined methodology and process for thinking, for setting hypotheses, for, mm-hmm. for assessing progress against expectations, man, I'm all in it. And if they can start mashing up data correctly, even better. Right. Now here's the next thing. And and I learned this coaching baseball because I was also the analytics guy on on the team. And I it was really cool because I actually pulled some some um, applications that major league teams were using, and we're using it in our um, you know in our in our JUCO in our local JUCO. And I like the data that you could get, and hey, I could show people here's what you're doing on the outside, this and that, and right. Um, heat charts, I'm going to do, but, but here's the difficulty, right? When you start bringing AI to bear mm-hmm. and, and you start bringing the matchups, A, you need, it's like AB testing. Hey, I want to send out 700 emails. Can we AB test? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can. Okay. It takes a lot of training. Right. And the data better be good. Yeah. And so if you've got, you know, it's funny because our, like in the last three years, do you know what one of my top concerns has become? What? Our sales cycles. Oh, interesting. Right. Our sales cycle, I think last time I checked the set, the average sales cycle is like 71 days. Yeah. I remember it was longer than that. (laughs) Here's my question. Mm -hmm. You notice how at the end of every quarter, I get a little bit more nervous. Yes, I have. Yeah. How do I predict my next 90 days? The revenue that I'm going to generate 90 days from today doesn't get created for 19 more days. Yeah. Right. So yeah. now we've got other things that, that were that, you know, that we've developed to, to help, you know, address that and, 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 and manage. And, but, but that is, that is a concern. So, but, but those are the places where you, again, you're going to like, you're, you know, good arts law is a good measurable mm-hmm. becomes crap when you start using it as a target. Right. And so we establish our target meetings. Well, that, well, okay. Now you've just changed everything. And mm-hmm. I know by yep. the way, if you've got a sale and by the way, at, now here's the good news as we're moving up market and we're seeing some of our larger deal ups, the time it's taking is right. Is, right. So if it, if it takes me nine months and three cycles. How, how, how much is efficient data going to predict? Right, not a lot. And, and, and so what? What's happening is we're we're teaching teams at best to become rules based poker players. Only play this hand if the probability of winning is greater than seventeen percent. Yep. Right. The best poker players fold more frequently, and they fold far more frequently. Right on the whole cards, so right, it right. just becomes so. So you know, you'll you'll be good. Yeah. Now, now here's the danger, though. At least in poker, you have 52 cards in Texas Hold'em. There are 52 cards. Mm-hmm. There are five rounds. Mm-hmm. This is the maximum number of cards that are going to be played. Those things will never change. Right. And we've got 
millions of examples. We've got trillions. We probably got have gazillion. What's bigger than gazillions? I don't even Penta, know what's bigger than gazillions. Pentagazillions <laughs> of of um of events to base that data on. Mm-hmm. We're now going into, you know, and, and you know, the revenue intelligence moves beyond CRM. Well, where's the data come from? Mm-hmm. It comes from the CRM. So by the way, when is the data getting entered? What are you doing to capture the conversations yep. that never become opportunities? To know yeah. that it was, you know, the salesperson go, like, I have a conversation with you and we're going to talk on Friday. And I think, oh, I can't wait till my call on Friday because that, that's going to be, that's going to be an opportunity. Right? That's going to be an opportunity. Right. How many times is it not an opportunity? By the way, in most cases, like, I might not even put you in the database yet. You, so you might not be in the CRM. Right. Maybe I logged a meeting, but how do I know what the, right? so all of a sudden this data begins to show, mm-hmm. right? And then we reinforce the data and we reinforce the data and we reinforce the data and, and we never go, wait, what, what's the null hypothesis? And oh, by the way, what happens when something shifts and oh, what happens here? So again, I am not like, I know this sounds like this is all about being negative. On, yeah. Right. The problem is. Mm-hmm. It make these revenue intelligence tools make it really, really easy for you to be stupid. Well, and so, so that, but also Which I, I think, advised not doing at the beginning of the show. You did, you did. So I think what's interesting about what you just said around what about the null hypothesis and if I don't put it in here. So the other promise that I, that I saw on a lot of these, revenue intelligence tools and revenue intelligence in general, as I was doing my research is they're, they're promising you will have no dirty data. You are going to avoid soiled data by doing this. The, the, the chat. So yeah, the data you have might, might not be soiled quote unquote, if you use this tool, but you're, you're not, you don't have all the data you're missing it. What you just described would be, you're not looking at it. You're looking at a skewed data set. Yeah. So like the problem with that, I haven't, so I didn't get into it like that. But, but that's just bullshit. Well, I, I agree. I agree with you I that mean, it's bullshit. But that's the that's the promise. A lot of these. I mean, you you, you show making. you show me a database that has no dirty data. I'll show you a database that doesn't have enough data. Right. right. There's always bad data. And mm-hmm. and and by the way, how are you not? How are you going to capture all of the data in a human interaction? You know, I I give credit at least in in. So here's the other problem. We're turning it into a finite game. Like the only way you can do that is, is, is with a finite game. Yep. Because like the statement against a lot of analytics in, in sports is, you know, you can't account for, analytics doesn't, doesn't account for how someone responds to pressure. Analytics doesn't account for um, they were sick that day. Analytics doesn't account for did they have an argument with their wife that day. Yeah, and I say yeah. that's true, and it's not true because it because there are enough events that are happening that, that that balances out, and and you're repeating the same event. Except that sure. if I have if I have my conversation with you, and I have my conversation with you again, it's not the same conversation. You know, there's the old phrase: you can't step in a river twice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Right. And and so when you're not accounting for that, when you're not accounting for you know, when you're trying to turn an open loop system into a closed loop system, you generate a lot of certainty. And and you also miss the fundamental basis of everything around data and data modeling. And and that is the map is not the terrain. The model is not reality. Right. By by definition, we are re- by definition, any model is reductive. And so, and so, you know, people get, people freak out when I, when I share thoughts with them on, on things like I just sent an email and they kind of laugh at me now because they're used to it. I go, you know, I, th- I, I think this thing's a 70, 70% chance of winning, you know, 40% yep. this month, 30% next month, 20%. Right. And they're like, Hey, I think we, I, I, I think this, I think we should do this. I'm, I'm about 40% on there, but I think it's what we should do. And they're like, why did 40%? That's less than half. How can you think we should do that if it's less than half? I said, well, because the next thing that I think we should do is about a 15% chance of working. <laughs> right, right, right. Right? Because there's a hundred different things that can happen. And, and, and oh, by the way, here's the other thing that, that bothers me when it says that. It, it results the crap out of life. Yes, yes. Right? I can do the right thing and lose. 
And so, so if the definition is win good, you know, closed one good, closed loss bad, <laughs> then then I'm going to result the hell out of things. And, and oh, by the way, that bigger, you know, it's funny because I've noticed that people are to the level of deal quality that they think about. It's the the chance of closing, and so they'll spend a whole bunch of time on a ten thousand dollar opportunity that they think has an eighty percent chance of closing, at the expense of a million dollar opportunity that's got a twenty percent chance. Say that again. They'll spend more time on a ten thousand dollar opportunity, uh huh, that has an eighty percent chance of closing. Oh yeah, we've talked than about a million this. Okay. dollar opportunity yeah. that has a twenty percent chance of closing. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. And and by the way, they'll spend it. You know, so so. Like those are all the things that come in. I think I think some of the promises of revenue intelligence is great, mm-hmm. but I think the the people that have the real problems that make revenue intelligence feel like it's the solution. Mm-hmm. It's like you've got ten things you have to do before yeah. that thing makes a difference. It's like so you know I used all I used all that data for coaching the college team which I will admit was a little bit of an overshoot. And I did some of it was because I thought it was cool. I did not use it for coaching my son's team. I could have, but it's like when you're 12 years old, your, your, um, you know, hard contact percentage on, on outside fastballs. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things we need to be thinking about before we get to like, Hey, let's, let's try to keep our feet in the same place twice. (laughs) Right, Right. 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 And, and, and so like, like that's the element and, and far too often the underlying process is a, you know, what, what I'm doing, if I bring in a revenue intelligence solution, I go, okay, let it, well, it's now my model. It's now setting my yeah. strategy for me. Am I going to advocate my strategy to that? So, so again, I yeah. think it's a, I think it's well-intentioned mm-hmm. and I think what it is, is it takes you, it's an optim, it's an optimizing tactic. So it is a, it is a certainly good to great and probably great to exceptional. That's where it has its biggest impact. Interesting. Okay. Um, so I hadn't so thought about get, that, but yeah. if you don't have the basics down, mm-hmm. then, you know, there's, there's probably more juice for the squeeze in other places. And, and, and even if you get it, my question will be, what's the underlying discipline for how you're using it. And if you don't have that, that's going to create a problem. Yeah. And that and actually, that, that's, that's kind of what my takeaway was. I was going to say, you've got to be super purposeful about how you, how you implement this. And I think sometimes it gets presented as this magic wand to sales and and it's not, it's not, it's, it's a tool in your toolbox that if you're doing other things, well, it can help enhance, improve, optimize. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the core of that is because it gets, oh, so that solves it. Yep. Cool. This was fun. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) <laughs> I told you we were going to have fun on this one. You did. You did. You warned me, which made me nervous. <laughs> Till next time. Thanks, everybody. And that's a wrap on this episode of The RevOps Show. I don't know what I thought revenue intelligence was, but I know I became more clear on what it is and what it can do for your business afterwards. episode. I hope it did the same for you. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to go subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and share the episode. If you have any questions you would like to ask Doug or Jess about revenue intelligence, email me at hannah at liftenablement.com or head us up on Twitter at demandcreator. Until next time, remember, you can't solve your upstream problems downstream.